match. What what did you think of it? Would you do it again? And did you think it was value for money? To be honest, I thought it was good value for money at the time. Uh, would I do it again? I don't know, because there's, there's so much out there in book forms. You've got so many different uh, ventures to go to. Like You've got Poliquin, obviously. You've got Westside. You've got Czech. You've got uh, Pavel with his, I think it's called Strong First. You've got all sorts of people that you can learn from. But I will say it was worth doing because I learned a lot about assessing the body, for instance, and learning how to apply certain uh, corrective exercises to my clients and find out things a lot quicker, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%, Michael, 100%. So because you come from a powerlifting background, yep. Have you had many of your clients come for powerlifting or have they come for general exercise and health? I've had some for general exercise and health, mainly the correct posture. But a lot of my, some of my younger clients come for me for strength. Like one of my clients is a basketball player. And I've been working with him for nearly three years now. And I've improved his basketball game by a huge mile. I mean, he front squats 100 kilos. He's back squatted 150. He's uh, deadlifted 170. Um, he can he can actually uh, push the prowler for 100. And I think he did 140 kilos. So and he's got a 42 inch box jump now. That's really good, Michael. So. What- what do you think since the pandemic? What do you think's wrong with the industry? The main wrong thing with the industry now, I personally think, is there's not enough time for these new young PTs to come through. For instance, I, I gathered when I was in a budget gym, it was all about trying to get your clients as quickly as possible and make, a, make some sort of money that you can actually survive. But it's very hard to do that when you've got X amount of PTs in one big budget gym and so many different clients. But a lot of those people in the budget gyms don't have the money to afford PT. I believe it's less than, I think it's less than 5% of people want PT and I think it's 5 or 3% or something stupid like that. Yeah, it's very low, isn't it? Yeah, it's extremely low. But after I moved from the budget gym, I went into a leisure centre and that's where I started at really pick up my skills more. I learned how to walk the floor a lot better. I learned how to talk to people a lot better. I learned one thing I learned was given like the free taster session as well through that um leisure center and I I did it all by myself. And then finally I got into a proper strength and conditioning gym, which I've learned another new challenge, right? Because with those type of places there's not many people in those gyms because most of them are like private so you have to use a lot of your social media so i use facebook and i joined a lot of the community groups around the area and that's how i picked up a lot of my clients there and obviously i had clients i had from the past who joined me as well that's fantastic michael really really good do you feel the uh personal trainers being asked to walk the floor for nothing on the preface or the chance of getting a client is completely wrong, considering the average PT will spend £3,000 becoming a PT. Without a doubt. I mean, sometimes there's luck of a draw as well with that as well, because you, you have to keep going. You can't always just um, get down about things. But the amount of money that you pay for PT in, like for a PT course, is a lot. And it's not easy. It's not it's not the easiest job because you're not just a personal trainer. You're a salesman. You're a marketer, right? You're a student of the game, which basically means you have to constantly update your knowledge all the time, right? Then you've got to do all your um, veering for your social media and all that. It's, it's not the easiest job, but it's definitely the most rewarding job. However... It's not fair, for instance, when you go into certain budget gyms, for instance, you'll work X amount of hours, depending on which gym your company you go for. Some will just do it for free. You have to work for X amount X amount of hours so you don't have to pay rent. 
but it doesn't cost all your like petrol and all that. And usually a lot of PTs have two or three jobs while they're trying to build up the business. Or the other way that the budget gyms do it is like they pay you and then they take the money back as rent. That's just absolutely disgusting, you know. You know, as you know, I worked at a, a, com- a commercial gym about ten weeks ago. Yeah. And the gym manager already had all the clients. Yeah. There was only one other PT that was successful there. It'd been there a year. Yeah. Just absolutely crazy, and I, it just annoys me that these gyms are getting away with that, saying that you have to walk the floor to get clients and not get paid. Yes. But you're still working. Of course. So it's, so it's worse than slave labour. You're not getting paid anything no. apart from a gym membership that might be under, you know, it's a budget gym. It's under three, under 300 pounds a year. Yeah. So when I was speaking to the younger guys, you know, obviously I'm in my 50s. Mm-hmm. The guys are in their, you know, their 20s. They're walking the floor. And they can't even pay their mum their rent money. Yeah. It's just ludicrous. Why... Why are these gyms getting away with that? I know that Pure Gym has to pay you 11 hours or whatever it is, and they've got to give you holiday pay and sick pay. Yeah. But as far as I know, I'm not too sure whether you've got to give it back to them in rent or not. I'm not 100% sure. Well, I remember... If they are doing that, that's completely unfair as well. Yeah. Well, I remember that in the gym group, that that's what they were planning to do, that you work so many hours, but you got paid, you got holiday pay and sick pay and all that, right? Yeah. But if you don't have the client base, right, then that money that you earn, you're just giving it back, and it's just as bad. And that's yeah. and the, a lot of those gyms, you have to really hit the floors as quickly as you can. Like your first your first week in a budget gym, you've got to make sure your diary is full of just free taster sessions, for instance, and hope hope for the best that you can sign up people. So you're just burning yourself out, wearing yourself out, giving away all the all your knowledge for free for uh, no guaranteed return, at least with Fitness First back in the day, yeah. in the 2000s, 2002, 2003, they paid you a salary. They didn't take it in rent, but they still let you build your client base. Yes. And that's why I stayed there for two years at Fitness First. Yeah. But when I worked at the, the Langham Hilton, I was when I very first started check studying in 2003, yeah, I was on a, a salary of sixteen thousand a year. Yeah, and looking online, the trainers are still getting fifteen thousand a year. Yeah, and it's twenty years on. Yeah, how the hell can they expect a fifty-year-old, a thirty-year-old, a twenty-year-old with the cost of living to pay all their bills? It just doesn't make logical sense. And then the no. trainers, you know in my opinion, is still charging a very low rate. Yeah. Uh, the gym that I was at, they were charging £45. Yeah. In a, in a, in a gym in Putney. Yeah. £45 in 2000, when I first started, I wasn't even charging £45. I was £75. Yes. So I don't get this uh, pay structure at all. No. When inflation has gone through the roof, but I can see why, you know, seven guys that I know have all owned their own gyms, have all gone bust. Yeah. Simply because they're charging 35, 45 pounds and their overheads are way beyond what they're getting, 30, 45 pounds. Yeah. Because an average PT, you know, some PTs like uh, Gavin Jenkins, who runs the Czech Institute now, he was saying he was doing uh, 40 hours a week, 40, 40 clients over 40 sessions a week. Now, that's a complete lie. Yeah. You cannot do that without being absolutely in the floor, drained and yeah. wiped out yourself and not giving quality of session, you know? Yeah. I mean, the amount of hours I like to work roughly a week is about 20 hours to maybe 25 hours a week, and that's enough. Because it... on top of that, you've got paperwork and everything else that you've got to do. Yeah, you know, you... online marketing, doing YouTube, doing TikTok or Facebook, whatever you're doing. And if you're doing a, you know, 40 sessions a week, you just can't fit that all in. And you forget about your admin work as well. Like you have to record how much money you're making. Oh, definitely. And your you're tax accountant. and yeah, your accountant and stuff. So, so 
Any, think... Anybody that wants to become a PT, it is a very rewarding job, right? But you have to be very, very self-driven. This is not and an easy And highly jo- dedicated. Highly yeah. dedicated. Right. Hi- and you have to, sometimes you have to think outside the box as well. Like you was going to, I remember that you were talking about doing a boot camp, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's still on my website. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of people now are doing like group training. Yeah, but group training is group torture, really, isn't it? Because mm. you've, if you've got 10 clients, you've got 10 case histories. Yeah. You know, one client might have a disc herniation. The other client's got a shoulder issue. The other one's got a neck issue. Yeah. You're never going to get 10 clients with who are, you know, pain-free completely with no problems. Of course. So, you know, the group training really is all about making as much money as they can out of the client. Yeah. Not really giving them quality of service and the client thinks that oh he's beasting me and making me sweat i'm getting value for money yeah but then that individual client might be in adrenal fatigue that individual client might have an inverted breathing pattern and stuff like that but obviously the average joe normal trainer that doesn't do extra studying like me and you do and extra courses yeah won't know any of that so they don't know any better and because of the the information in the media, like Parlequin said, especially in, in the UK, is very basic. They're still saying that you must run on a treadmill or do uh, steady state cardio in which to lose body fat. Charles Parlequin has now found that steady state cardio causes brain damage. Yeah. And the other thing with Parlequin, he says the best way, obviously, it depends on your history as well of injury and so forth. He recommends sprinting is the best way of uh, form of losing body fat. Oh, without a, a doubt, because you're going anaerobic. The same with interval training. Yeah. With interval training on the treadmill or bike or whatever you're doing. Yeah. It should be, you know, one minute off, two minute on, one minute off, two minute on, you know, to really yeah. get the cardiovascular system working. Yeah. So the body doesn't become an, an efficient calorie burner. It's actually burning fat. Yeah, and the same with the philosophy of hit training. Yeah, is that hit training is okay for fifteen minutes. Yeah, if you've got good stru- good structural alignment. Yeah, no pain anywhere, and you know all your muscles are firing equally together. Yeah. Uh, Scott, do you remember the original hit training before that? No, go on. The original hit training was uh designed by uh, Arthur Jones and Mark and Mike Mensa, which was like one set to absolute failure. Wow. Right, which was basically you would control the negative but you also control the concentric as well. Yes. So it might be it might be this where Arthur Jones he's the guy who created the Nautilus machines and that. Right, okay. So, so basically you would do like let's say like a chest press for instance, right? You'll do like a five second like uh, eccentric, well, five centric concentric work first, and then you'll do like five seconds back eccentric. And you would do yeah, so tell people in layman's term what that means. What you're Basically, saying is the yeah. the up movement is faster, and the coming down movement is much much slower. Well, what I'm saying is, is actually they're both at the same speed, but you could you could make the up movement faster. You can have like a three second one. And then the lowering phase, so it's like bringing it down for five seconds or maybe even six. But you have to be careful with it because it will create a lot of uh, muscle soreness, especially for beginners. This is not for beginners. This is for more advanced athletes. Oh, without a doubt. And what I learned from the Czech Institute is if somebody's doing econcentric training, like in the uh, German volume training that Parlequin advocates, Really, yeah. you shouldn't be doing that unless you've had a five years experience of exercise of with course. no rest in between. Yes. And unfortunately, many people will, you know, they, you know, it's coming up to January now, isn't it? They'll be in yeah. the gym the whole of January, give up February and March. Yeah. Then they might come back when there's a bit of sun. Yeah. June or July for their holidays. Yeah. And then they wonder why they get injured and wonder why. Uh, they can't get success in their program because yeah. of their consistency is not regular enough. Yeah. I would, also, I would also say for people that want to get into that type of shape, 
right? Like the people in January and that. I agree with what Poliquin said, you know, just pay somebody to write your program or, or even better, get you the personal personal train with them. Yeah, 100%. And none of this bullshit online stuff and none of this uh, on TikTok, they keep talking about online training, which I agree with and disagree with. And, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. I agree with it from a point of view if you're coaching people on diet yeah. and lifestyle. Yeah. Because you don't have to palpate or touch the client or yeah. present the exercise on how to do it correctly. Yeah. But when it comes to online PT, as in you're training a person, I've done it for my client in Scotland. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy it whatsoever. Yeah. And 90% or nearly 100% of the trainers that I've spoken to yeah. said, do you like online training? They all say, no, it's horrible. They don't like doing it. Yeah. But the client might migrate towards it because it's cheaper. Yeah. Or the trainers are really doing themselves because if they're doing it cheaper than normal PT, yeah. it's still an hour of their time. And they forget as well that you have to ask the client to film stuff for you and check and look at different angles as well with the video. Exactly, which you can't see when you're using your iPhone or your computer. Exactly. So... It's a tough one. I can see why people do it, right? Because it's another way of making money. But there's, it has, it's like anything. It has its pitfalls. Yeah, but they're prostatizing themselves, aren't they? They're really not really giving value for money and not really giving a a proper decent service, in my opinion. Which is true. Which is really weird because I was speaking to on TikTok. There's a a woman that says she's a world powerlifting champion, mm-hmm. and she knows people that do online training that got a uh, world championship medals. And I said, well, where's the evidence of that? Yeah. And I've not heard anything from her. So I think a lot of PTs are just coming out with a load of nonsense. The same as, you know, they're saying <laughs> restrict your calories to lose weight. No, do the metabolic typing diet yeah, or do the, the blood type diet or the Atkins diet yeah, and eat, a balanced diet, and you will lose the unwanted calories naturally yeah. without having to starve yourself. Yes, I believe in fasting and intermittent fasting, Yeah, but at certain times for certain people, yeah. it's not for everybody. Of course, it's like, like you just said that, not all diets are for everyone. I mean, I've used the ketogenic diet, for instance, done really good for me, and I've done uh, time-restricted fasting, and that's worked for me. Because I remember you were the one who suggested it to me. Yeah. And it really worked. I mean, I don't have so much love handles anymore for a start. Yeah. Right. And my lower abs are much more slimmer as well from that diet. Because like you told me, I was insulin resistant. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I think I like fasting. But like you said, there's a t- you can't do it all the time. No. And you have to be... You have to have a refeed now and then and you most people want to enjoy themselves which i can understand as well yes but people need to change their diet like Mm -hmm. they change their exercise program of course as well as their supplement regime yep so they're saying in the literature and the science that if you take say i recommend carson's fish oil yeah but if you take carson's fish oil for six months yeah your body will become allergic to the fish oil so everything needs to be in rotation the same with my 35 years of working out yeah i have to have a new program every two weeks of course but the guy that's just started in the gym you know the 40 year old yeah he needs to be on his program for at least four weeks before it needs to be changed that's only if he's consistent and regular training with you yes i think the industry has a has a lot to answer for mm. where they're duping trainers to do any course yep. and then getting them to work in the gyms. And most trainers don't have a, a contract. Yeah. So if, con- so if their client falls over, you know, hurts their hip or sprains an ankle or whatever, yeah. they're, you know, really opening up the, the door for litigation to get sued. Yeah. And I remember uh, Paul Check was talking about where he'd been asked to be uh, a witness 
to different court cases in the States. Yeah. Simply because the trainers wasn't even writing a decent program. And that's the crazy thing is, is the, the gym that I was at, they had 900 members. Yeah. I saw two people with a bit of paper, a little bit of paper with their program on. Yeah. And I went up to probably 60 members, said, where's your program? I see me head. Oh, you're getting the results you want? No, not really. No. I said, what did you do last week? Can't remember. I said, what are you doing this week? I'm doing bicep curls. So really, really terrible that the budget gyms are not even enforcing yeah. that every member should see a PT and have a program. Yeah. It's crazy. It is. This, that's why I find it's important to have a journal with you. You write everything down. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I that's... I write every. I do. I write my journal out in hand. I don't have like. A, I don't have it on my phone. Yeah, I don't and want it. it. I'm the same as you, Michael. You know, we've both got dyslexia, and yeah. I'm not into, uh, you know, putting it all in the phone. Because if you lose your phone or something happens, yeah, you've lost all that information. Whereas if you got it on paper, yeah. you can keep it in your sports bag, yeah. and go back to it. And obviously, I do a proper program designed for my clients, and I present them with the program, and I keep their program <coughs> on file as well on my computer. Yeah. So if they ever lose it, I can just reprint it for them again. You know. Of course. I mean, one thing I like about the journal is that you can always look back at what you've done in the past. A hundred percent. One thing I one thing I've done is um, I write down what my current body weight is. Yeah, great idea. What time you're training because that'll have an effect on you know how well you're going to train. So let's say you're normally training at ten o'clock in the in the morning and you've had a great breakfast and you're feeling good. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you get busy. You have to train at before you see your last client at five o'clock, yeah, you may find your performance is not as good yeah. as what it was when you were training at 10. And the only way you can quantify that is by documenting it. You know, it's just That's a shame cool. that in 22 years that I've been in the industry, you know, you've been in it four years. It's not changed. Well, it's got it's kind of true, like they say, the more things change, the more it stays the same. Yeah, but it needs to, you know, every PT complains about it. So really, yeah. should there be a union for PTs or should the government get involved and go, right, you know, PTs shouldn't be walking the floor for free. You should be paying them, you know, at least minimum wage for 20 hours or 40 hours. Because who in their right mind can live on 11 hours worth of money? Not a lot of people. Nobody. No. It seems like even if you live at home and you got a car, you know, even your car's going to cost more than what you than what you're getting with eleven hour salary once you to pay your tax and national insurance. Yeah. It's just crazy. So tell us a bit more about your powerlifting background. How did you get into it, and uh, why did you decide to do powerlifting instead of sprinting or bodybuilding or or martial arts? So, I went to a gym in Totten called Calmore, what was called um, Totten Weightlifting uh, Club, which was more of a powerlifting gym. And that's where I learned all my, basic my craft and that. So, somebody showed me how to deadlift properly. Somebody showed me how to squat properly. I, yeah. I haven't, I'm not the best bencher. The reason why is because, you got to look at people's arms. So if somebody's got really long arms, they've got a long distance to a uh, bench. But if they've got long arms as, as well, they make a very good deadlifter like I am. Oh, okay. So I basically did a lot of reading, a lot of research. I mean, one person I got into when I was at Calmore was uh, Elliot Hulse. And I used to watch him religiously. And that's how I got into Paul Check as well, because of him. Right, okay, okay. And then I started to just practice things. Like, I started to um, practice my deadlift. Yeah. Practice my squats. I remember with Elliot, I did a lot of front squats, because I got away from back squatting, I did front squatting. But as I got older and as I got to learn more things, I learned a lot of things. Like, I learned 
when I first got into it, I kept doing the same weights and that. And then I think it's when I left that gym and I went into the budget gym. That's when I got into Westside Barbell. And I learned something called what they call the conjugate system, which is where you'll rotate the exercises more often. Right, so, okay. So, for instance, I would do a three-week wave of back squatting, for instance, and then after the, the third week, I'll go to front squat for three weeks. But I would always, always seem to change the exercises up. So, with deadlifting... I realized with me, sometimes it was breaking it off the floor was the hardest bit. Yeah. So I, I started to do what's called deficit deadlifts. So I would stand on something. Not It could be about an inch or two. And I found that really helped me uh, get me strong in my deadlift because I had to use more leg drive to break it yeah. off the floor. Uh, with bench for instance i learned that my sticking point right for me was just was off my chest about midpoint and that's when i realized i needed to use uh what's called accommodating resistance so i'm going to put out in layman's terms for people yes so i would use bands or chains so with the chains for instance as i went down in the bench press the chains the weight got lighter, but as I came back up, it will get heavier. I found this was a good way to get through my sticking points. And with the bands, for instance, because the bands will shoot you back down faster than gravity, right? Yeah. You had to you had to control the speed of the of the um of the descent, but not too much. You had to go a bit faster and then suddenly blast it back up. Yeah, and yeah, and as I went into the leisure center, I got better at the conjugate system. So I would do things like uh, pause squats, for instance. I would do pin squats. So basically, I squat to the pins, right, yeah. and then come back up that way. I learned something called delayed squats, is where you go down to a certain point, hold. Go down again, hold, and then get to the bottom and then come up. So there was a lot of eccentric work there. I learned about changing my feet positioning. So like a wide stance, close stance. So just a massive variation of everything. Yeah, pretty much. And, and also, Michael, what did you what do you think about steroids in powerlifting? Honestly, I think there's there's no they shouldn't have it. There's I know people I know a lot of people do it. Did you know like one in three gym goers are on steroids in the UK? That's disgusting. One in three. So That's unbelievable. And this is this is this is absolutely true. It's yes. uh, it's quite mind boggling. But I think with powerlifting, there was, there's always going to be people that want to do steroids, and you're always going to have federations, for instance, that don't cater to it. And some people that, and some federations that they don't care if people are on it. So it's each to their own. But me personally, I don't find it's a, a true test of strength for me personally. And you don't use wraps, you don't use belts, you don't use any assisted stuff, do you? Do, do, do you use uh, smelling salts? No, the only thing that I use is chalk. Chalk? Yeah, for my hands. So you're a proper raw lifter. Yeah. Fantastic. Pa Just like myself, you know? Yeah, paleo. Uh, what would you say the top advice to somebody that's in their 20s that wants to get gargantuan strength? What would you say they need to do if they want uh, to get, if they want to be a great power lifter? Find a good coach. Find a good coach who's, who's been, who's done the sport. Okay. And what about a recommendation of a book? There's so many books to recommend, my friend. Um, What's one that really sticks out in your mind? That's easy to understand. Hmm. Let me just quick look. Because that's a real, that's a loaded question there, Scott. That it really is, mate. Because there's so many of them. 
that I've got in my uh, in my collection. But there oh. has to be one that stands out that you think that's really easy to understand. It's Damn. not full of jargon and stuff that a new lifter won't understand. Yeah. Because that's what I think is wrong with the industry in some respects. Yeah. Is that they, you know, there's lots of technical stuff that people just, normal people just don't understand it. Yeah. I remember that when I was doing my tech courses and stuff, they wanted you to know the ins and outs of every single muscle. Yeah. But then when I would say, you know, gastronemius or, you know, pec minor, pec major, the client would be looking at me like I'm out of space. Yeah. I mean, so in the end, I started to switch it with clients and go like, that's the calf muscle that I'm touching at the bottom of your leg. Yeah. And there's, you've got one, you've got two calf muscles, the upper and the lower. And that seems to be much better for the client to understand because yeah. not everybody wants to know muscles, muscles, uh, nerves, insertion and actions, you know? Mm. Which is true. I mean, the one book that really comes to mind, I know it's, without doubt the most popular book on Amazon for beginners in any strength sport is uh, Starting Strength by Mark Ripoto. Okay. Because that book teaches you the very basic lifts of squat, bench, deadlift and overhead press. Brilliant. And those, and when you really, really think about it, those are the four main exercises that most people are impressed by. Well, if you go to a commercial gym or any gym, what's the first question that uh, people ask you, Scott? How well, much? Me, you... me personally. Yeah. How much can you bench? Is the first question that every everybody gets asked. Yeah. Normally, with me, it's how much do I charge? Yeah. But uh, if you go you to know, the, e benching, the benching question. You know, because I do a lot of standing cable push and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, for me, <laughs> benching isn't the big thing anymore, you know, because yeah. I want to keep my shoulders strong and not damage them by, you know, ego lifting. I think a lot of guys and girls, they go in the gym to ego lift. They don't well, go in the gym in which to keep themselves functionally strong. Yeah. But if somebody, you know, if a client comes in and wants to, do 150 kilo bench press then i'll show them how to do that but yeah i would want to train them for at least three months yeah. before i got them to that level you know <laughs> depending on their training age and this is what parlequin and check both agree on yeah is that if your training age is six weeks there's no way you should be doing 150 kilo bench press yeah but if you've got a training age of four years yeah, you're just a bit lost about program design. Yeah, then I can definitely get you to do that. And if you look on my website, my surgeon's doing I think, <coughs> 160 kilo deadlift for one. Yeah, and he only weighed 65 kilo. Yeah, and he was 60 years old. So to be able to do that is amazing. But he'd been working with me for nearly 19 years. Yes, you know. So I think you know. As your experience gets goes further and further, and as you read more books, the only thing we're reading lots of books is that a lot of them talk about the same stuff. Yeah. But regurgitated and spun round backwards. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's, yeah, you could say see it as a way of it's reinforcing stuff that you already know, but you should remember, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I liked about Parlequin when he said about uh, body fat, no, testosterone testing on the arm, the tricep and the bicep. And he just said, yeah. if the skin on your tricep and bicep is the same thickness as your foreskin on your penis, yeah, then you're okay. But if it's yeah. any more than that, it's testosterone's through the floor. Yeah. And because he said it that way, it was easier to remember, you know, the same as... Uh, Paul Check in a lot of his videos, he will make, you know, really outlandish comments. Yeah. That would make you remember what he was saying, you know, because obviously when you're doing the Czech study in over a six year period or five year period. Yeah. You're learning so much stuff. Trying to remember it all can be quite hard, you know. Of course. Without uh, having these little cues from what Paul said, you know, like. Yeah. 
what's one of them? Uh, <coughs> oh, one of them is you know the Big Bang exercise, or you can't fire a cannon out of a <coughs> out of a canoe, you know? Yeah. Uh, so where do you see your career going in the next five years? I can see myself uh, getting better where I'm at at the gym and learning a lot from the other guys. I can see myself doing more courses eventually. I mean, I, I've, I actually do think eventually I'll be working with uh, with athletes. But what about you writing your own book and doing your own seminars, Michael? Because you know a lot about powerlifting from what we were talking about the other day yeah there was stuff you were mentioning to me and i'm like oh i've not, I've not heard of that before yeah but i know that you since i since we met you said to me should i do the rest of the check stuff and i went no the best thing for you to do is is to buy as many books as you can yeah and read as much as you can and that's exactly what you've done which Pretty is much. amazing well done i mean the Talk about seminars that I wouldn't mind actually doing because I do like I do like uh, explaining things to people and plus I like the sound of my own voice. That's a bit of an ego thing there, but yeah, of course we've all got ego, mate. So uh, I think it's something you should definitely look into. You know, yeah. doing powerlifting seminars or yeah, how to improve your bench or your squat or your deadlift. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, one of my guys set up a podcast on Archer. Yeah, the same as what what I've done. Uh, the skill in doing the the videos, Archer, Facebook, and all that, yeah, is all consistency. And that's pretty much the tr- that's truth there. But you can't be doing the, You know, when you was doing your uh, WhatsApp, no, what not WhatsApp, Instagram. Yeah, you kept posting a lot of the same stuff, but not talking. Yeah. So you've got to be able to talk more to be successful yeah on you know facebook youtube and instagram and and uh tiktok you know of course but i know it's another bind and it's even more work to do and stuff like that and uh parlor queen was talking about do your marketing in the morning spend 15 minutes on it don't do no more yeah and i agree with that to a certain degree because now you know, YouTube and TikTok are in competition with each other and they want you to do one minute videos, 60 second, three minute videos, 60 second videos and 15 yeah. second videos. So it makes it a lot easier. And the thing with, uh, I'm just looking now, I published the video the other day and it had on, on YouTube and the, the highest ranking one had 1,700 1, views yeah. in three days. Yeah. So what you've got to think about that is, is that if you're getting 1,700 views uh, in a couple of days, that's 1,700 people that know your name and know your business, you know? Yeah. They may not turn into a client, but they may <coughs> think about you later on. When of course. Got, from my from my point of view, the neck pain, the back pain, or they just want to drop a bit of weight, you know? Yeah. And that's that's when I uh, did a lot of that Facebook marketing through the groups and I think that's how I got a lot of my clients because it was consistent. Yeah. And uh people eventually came and messaged me. And I I think I, I remember I picked up at least about four or five people from it. That's fantastic. Really, really fantastic. And the one thing I did as well when I was posting, I always took photos of my clients and made sure I did uh, certain exercises that was different that people have never seen. Brilliant. So, so it could have been something like uh, the yoke with my client Mark, for instance. Yeah. Or some or some heavy weights with my client Nick, who weighs sixty five kilos. Yeah. Or even some of my clients who are. In their late six, in their sixties and seventies, just give people the idea. Oh, it doesn't matter whatever age you are. It's possible. Yeah, I've yeah trained an eighty-year-old, you know, and a seventy-year-old, and found it highly enjoyable. Yeah, and these people really want to do it. They really listen, and they've got the expendable cash in which to spend on supplements, books, <clears throat> articles, or 
whatever you want to give them, they seem to be much keener yeah. to listen, learn and do what needs to be done, you know? Well, one of my clients, she's in her mid-60s, right? And she's yeah. she's lost uh, a kilo of body fat and put on a kilo of muscle in her 60s. That's amazing. Mid-60s. My other client, uh, who's in his 70s, they used to call him chicken legs. He ain't chicken legs anymore now. Fantastic. So uh, how did it, you quantify that? How did you measure it? So a lot of the time I would uh, measure the thighs or at work we would use something called an in-body. Right. And the in-body would take like the measurements of like how much muscle somebody's gain and body fat and all that. It's usually the nutritionist does that for me. Right. Is that standing on something or is that actually measuring and taking body fat calibration? It's more standing on something. Right. Okay. So that's what we use at the gym that I work at. At least this, you know, having a guide is better than no guide, whether it's the same as Harbison's body fat calipers, which are the best in the world for uh, recognized for athletes for taking body fat caliper measurements. Uh, I think as long as you've got a tool that can give you some information yeah, and then you can measure it later on to find out. And one of the things what Paul Check said, what I thought was really, really good is by just by going how the client feels yeah, and just looking in the mirror. Can you see your, your you know, your oblique line? Can you see yeah. the connection to the pectoral? Can you see the Christmas tree in the, in the lateral dorsi, you know? Yeah. If they're the a guy other, or a girl these days. And the other thing is that you just mentioned there, right, is take some photos before and after. Yeah. Right, do, and do it, probably do it monthly because that way you'll see the change. Yes and no. If you're doing it monthly, then some mm. clients, it could freak them out because I've taken pictures of clients and if they're very, very, you know, wealthy and successful, they don't want to see the pictures. They get the hump. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's definitely an individual thing. The same with, oh. you know, we was talking about biosignature the other day. Yeah. And when you pinch somebody's skin with yeah. the bio, with the with the Harbison fat calipers, it's quite yeah. painful. Yes. So some women will hate that. Some women will love it. Some blokes will like it. Some won't. But yeah. If I get somebody come in with a big belly that's obese. I'm not going to do any body fat caliper measurements of them. No, because that's because there's no uh, point. No, and it'd be it'd be disheartening to that person as well if you did that. Yeah, if I tell them they got fifty percent body fat, you know, and they're going to yeah. die tomorrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that I don't know what way the industry is going at the moment. It seems that it's not really about quality like it should be. You know. Well. If I could say something to the uh, listeners out there, if you can, try and support local small gyms. A thousand percent. I agree with that. I think the uh, the big corporate, you know, pure gyms and places like that yeah. have had their day. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard even Parlequin said that he wouldn't train in a big commercial gym. No. And I think Paul Check is exactly the same. And uh, I'm the same as well. I used to train at Nuffield Health and I was there for seven years. Yeah. And, you know, every January there'd be gym idiots. Then by February they've all gone, you know. They've given up or it's too hard or, you Mm. know what I mean. They all have good intentions to start off with. And it's quite strange for for PTs really want to work in an independent gym like Up Fitness or... uh, other gyms like that around London mm-hmm. because of, you know, you're treated much better yeah. and they, they, uh, you're treated much better. You're more respected. And that's the thing that I thought was quite bad about the gym that I worked in 10 weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. The manager was telling me that I was the best in there because of the qualification that I had yeah. and how long I've been, been in the industry. Yeah. But then he was probably saying that about the other trainers. Yeah. You know, Could why is be- he, why is he slagging them off because they're new to the industry then telling me I'm the best and I'm like, you can't trust a person like that, you know? Yeah. This And the other thing when 
when we talk about the small independent gyms, a lot of the small independent gyms have their own unique uh, flavor to them or style. So, like where I work, Pinnacle Performance, we're more uh, more of a strength and conditioning gym. At one point, it used to train a lot of sailors. Oh, okay. Now, now the gym trains not only just sailors, but a golfer, Olympic sailor. Um, Trains powerlifters, trains a fencer, trains a lot of trains a lot of people, cyclists, runners. So, it, and you you know, for instance, if you go to certain independent gyms, there'd be like bodybuilding gyms. Yes, there'd be powerlifting gyms. I mean, where I work, where I live, there's probably two strongman gyms. One's called Winning Health. Uh, solutions i think it's called winning health strength now in shirley and the other one is called the southampton barbell division which Brilliant. is which was owned by my dear friend who passed away last year aaron page yeah yeah so, and you've also got uh you've got a powerlifting gym around here called uh southampton barbell so yeah i would recommend and obviously you've got your private studios as well and when you really, when you think about those small independent gyms, they have, like I said, they're much more friendlier, and the coaches or the owners of there are even more knowledgeable what you get in a commercial gym. Oh, without a doubt. You know, when I worked at Club Twenty Two in Marble Arch, yeah, for nearly nine years, yeah, trained my clients there and worked in there, yeah. Every PT knew each other, so mm. when you'd come in in the morning waiting for your client to turn up. Yeah, you chat strategies. You chat about you know diet and lifestyle. Oh, this has worked for five of my clients, and uh, try and help each other out. And I just thought that that was really good, and that's why I like the the gym that I work out of in Great Portland Street. Yeah, uh, Chris that owns it <laughs> is a devout PT. He's been doing it twenty years as long as me. Yeah, and he's now really into championship or gold medalist rowing. Yeah, which I like it and I don't like it. I'm not a cardio person because of what I've learned about it. Yeah. But obviously, he's structured a brilliant business from it. Yeah. And him as the owner, he knows everyone's name. Yeah. A few of the trainers take the piss. So they have to bring in new contracts and stuff like that, which I've not got a problem with. Yeah. And I highly respect him and I highly respect his gym. So when I'm in there, as soon as I finish with the weights, I'm putting them away. I'm putting the Swiss balls away. And if a guy, you know, another trainer, girl or guy, says, can I use this bit of equipment? I say, yeah, of course you can. You yep. know what I mean? I'm never rude. I'll just say, look, you know, I'm, I'm using, say, like the uh, the trap bar. Mm -hmm. I've got four more reps to do. Mm -hmm. Then you can jump on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's the other thing that they don't show you in the courses is how to still train your client base in a busy, busy gym full of PTs. Yeah, because there's too much ego nonsense in them places, you know. And that's without a doubt. The other thing that I like about where I work, like you just said, that all the coaches are uh, talking to each other, sharing ideas, strategy. They might disagree with certain things, but they all respect each other. Yeah, and, and that's and that's so important because it makes a really good environment. Environment. Yeah, and the and the customers or the clients can feel the environment as well because I remember when I was at uh, Club 22 and one of the trainers was not well yeah and they were taking it out on the they were taking it out on everybody that was in the gym yeah and in the end that person got asked to leave because yeah. everyone was just bringing the atmosphere of the gym down you know yeah well it's just like the gym where I work everybody most of the PTs know everybody's name that walks through the door, client base. That is and brilliant. And it's very helpful. And the other good thing about where I work, right, I know in the summer next year that they're going to do a, a big party for the members and the staff. I've... That's just amazing. So they're really, I like this gym. That's why I said to you they should open up one in central London and <laughs> I'd work there straight away. Yeah. Simply but because it... they're understanding the business and they're not treating the trainers like robots. Yeah. 
But the other, the other good thing is, well, I remember when I was in certain gyms, I was like, when are we going to do like a, a Christmas meal and all that? Right? And I, when I was in the budget gym, I couldn't do it because I was working on those days. But we did do uh, members' nights. But when I was in the leisure centre, we never did anything like that. Yeah. And I was, and this is the other thing that I learned since working in budget gyms and leisure centres is those places are very clicky. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Which, again, is a bad environment. Which members don't want to be in and they just leave. And then the, the, the gym owners are going, why am I losing money? Like the uh, the gym in Putney that I was working at, mm. the, the, the manager come in and he went, I've lost 20 members. The guys are slamming the weights down. That's why I'm losing 20 members. It's not that. Went, no, it, it isn't. It's because you're, you're being rude to the members. For one, two, you're not giving them quality of service, and three, you know, a lot of people were scared because of that fake thing that's around at the moment. Yeah, you know, without saying its name. Yeah, which is really, really sad that all he was concerned about was he was losing money. He yeah. wasn't concerned about why he was losing money. And he was just blaming it on to the members that were dropping weights. And I'm like, what? wait a minute, they've got rubber floors. Yeah. What are you worried about? He went, oh, we've got Olympic lifting guys coming in here. And I went, yeah, but you've only got one lift, one Olympic lifting platform and you've got 900 members. Well, it's like when I was in the, one of the leisure centres, they had two Olympic <coughs> lifting platforms in the power rack. And somebody, one day, one guy did actually do proper Olympic lifting, like the clean, and the, it didn't do the snatch, but he did the clean and jerk, and he dropped it. Yeah. And the guy, the guys didn't realise that um, they didn't put the beam in the right place to take the weights, and they complained about him. And then he left the gym and went to the gym that I'm currently working at. <laughs> so, so they lost a valuable member, you know, and this is yeah. what... This is what annoys, like, if there's any managers listening to this, gym managers listening to my podcast, uh, you all need to, like, look in the mirror on how you, one, treat the members and how you treat the staff. Yeah. Because a lot of the members come back because of the staff members. Because of the PTs, uh, you know, jovial, can have a laugh and make the, the gym session pleasant and enjoyable. Yeah. And like Parlequin quoted is and Paul quoted as well, that a lot of the gym owners want to tell the self employed personal trainer what to do. Which is like wrong. They said to you when you when you was doing what was you doing? You were doing the benching with your client, wasn't you? Yeah. And you put was it was it straps on it or was it uh the chains? So oh, I mean when I was asked to leave the leisure centre. Yeah. So I used this thing called <coughs> Koji Squats, which you would yeah. t- you, you'll use a band, basically, and you loop the uh, plate through it. So it creates instability. But the other thing I couldn't get was, like, they moaned about me using bands. And it's like, why has the power rack got pins then so I could attach the bands onto the bar? Right. You know what I mean? It's like... Yes. It's, it, I think some of these places, right... Well, the the big budget gyms are catching up now because now they're putting in, like, the pins and they're getting sleds and all that because they're trying to copy the strength and conditioning gyms and that. But the leisure centres don't know what they're on about. Exactly, because the leisure... Like, when I I worked at uh, a leisure centre in Wimbledon. Yeah. And I was there for six months. And they went, we just want to get people in and out. And I went, no, but we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to, oh, no, we don't want to do any any of that. Just get them on the cardio and get them out. Hmm. So it's all about profit again. And when the, the same with Nuffield Health as well, both of these gyms I worked in uh, were run as a charity. Yeah. Now, they run as a charity. And then when you go to their big uh, work day for the staff, yeah, you go there and they have the big screens on. Yeah, and then all they're talking about is how much money they've earned. Hmm. So how can you be a charity 
earning loads of money, but not paying any tax, like the church. Yeah. It's bloody wrong. Mm. And Hypocrite. then paying a PT or a, or a gym instructor £15,000 a year, Yeah, when he can't even fucking pay his car bill, he can't even pay the tax on his car with that money. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's just ludicrous that they're, they're really taking the piss out of the trainers. And when I look at, you've got Pure Gym up the road from me, they've yeah. got 15 trainers in there. None of them have got any different qualification. They've all got the same. Yeah. It's really sad. The really thing sad. is, the thing is, with the industry in general, it's like you have to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices because if you don't, if you're not willing to make it, you shouldn't be doing the job. Because, like I said, yeah, but why should you have to make sacrifices, Michael? Yeah. When nobody else does in any other job. That's true. If you're a policeman, you get back up from the police 100%. Yeah. If you work for the railway, you get insured, you get looked after. Yeah. Why is it in the fitness industry, you've got to have your own insurance? Yeah. You've got to, you know, like I got told, uh, uh, Energize Fitness, because I'm self-employed, I've got no rights. Yeah. So they don't have to show me the fire exit. Hmm. Can you believe that? At the end of the day, they just want to make money out of you. Yeah, you're just a cash cow. Yeah. Nothing else. And it's a bit like the same with the Czech Institute. I don't know about the Parlequin system or not, because I haven't gone through that. But with the Czech system, you know, once you've got your bits of paper, that don't mean fuck all to anybody. Yeah. Apart from you and what you're going to give to your clients. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the Czech Institute's got a massive name. Yeah. But nobody asked for that qualification. Of course. And this is what annoyed me about the Czech Institute. Me studied with them for over 10 years nearly. And then they want me to pay for a license hmm. that nobody asked for. For? A couple of hundred pounds a year. It's just like, like I said, it's just making money out of people now. Exactly. <clears throat> it's not about uh, looking after people. Like, let's say uh, since 2013, I've probably had. 50 calls from trainers going, I want to do the check stuff. I want to be a level four. Do I think I should do it? No. Yeah. Well, why not? You did it. Yeah, I made a mistake. Don't make the mistake I made. Yeah. Simply because of the way I got treated after I become a level four. If they yeah. would have said, right, you can have PT enhancer free, which yeah. they've done with other people, with other level fours from what I hear. And mm -hmm. then on top of that said, right, you can have the license for free as well because you've been paying it for 10 years. Yeah. If they would have done that for me, then I would have been pushing people their way. Yeah. Obviously, they didn't do do that, which was, in my opinion, out of order. Yeah. Especially when you paid them 25 grand, 30-odd grand nearly, you know? Yes. It's mental. And I believe the, uh, the Czech Institute will still keep going because they've got a lot of money behind it to yeah. keep it marketed and advertised. But yeah. Paul really should be on Oprah Winfrey or on a, a big show because the system does really, really work. Yeah. But so does Parlequins. Yeah. I think he should do Joe Rogan. I've heard of stories that he was supposed to do the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, but it's not going to happen because when you listen to Paul speak on his podcast, yeah. he doesn't let the other person speak. Yeah. It's all about his own ego all the time. And I think Joe Rogan has realised that, and that's why he's not been on the show, but Elliot Hulse has been on there. Yeah. Who, Elliot Hulse done some of Czech stuff, not all of it, obviously. Yeah. And then you've got, who else has been on there? Doreen Yates has been on there. You know, some other big names. And the London Real guy, yeah. he's been on there. Then if you listen to Paul when he was on the London Real show, yeah, he didn't have you navigate his own bloody trainers. Right. And plus, it was, all, it was all staticky. It wasn't the best quality, neither. It was horrible. Yeah. It was really poor quality, you know. And I think unless Paul really wakes up and realises that, the same as they changed it to performance. Now, what do they call it? Scientific, scientific exercise specialist or something now, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm like, who is going to ask for that? Nobody. Yeah. And then again, the ego of, of Gavin, and maybe not as much as Paul, I don't know. Yeah. They didn't even vet 
the 3,000 guys that have gone to level three and level four. Yeah. To find out whether it would be a good idea or not. Mm. All ego again, you know? Yeah. But apart from that, the, the, the I would say the tech studying is amazing. It's really expensive. It really infuriates me that there isn't 100 jobs online going, we want a level four or a level three in our gym, you know? Yeah. And I've not seen... I've seen conditioning places like where you work asking for strength and conditioning qualifications, but they're yeah. not specific in what they ask for. Yeah. They're looking for a minimum of a degree level. Yeah. But the only thing with the degree guys, they've got no practical experience. Yeah. And the guys that I've seen as trainers that have got degrees are crap. Yeah. I've not seen one that's any good yet. Yeah. You know, and if I do see one, I go, mate, you're brilliant, fantastic. You know, what have you studied, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the but the energised fitness that I was at in Putney, all the guys had just come into the industry, yeah. got their personal trainer qualification, thought they knew it all. Yeah. Uh, but they were doing that because they got glorified cleaners until they get a, club, a couple of clients. Yeah. That's just totally wrong. Can I ask you to clean machines when you've done... £3,000 on your education. No. That's wrong as well, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, what would you recommend uh, a powerlifting diet? Do you say high carbs, low carbs, or intermittent fasting, like I said, or would you say metabolic typing? Probably metabolic typing because it, it, it varies from person to person. Some people do well on a high carb diet. Some people won't. Yeah. Some people do well on restricted time fasting. Some people don't. So, why well, get it? If you can figure out what your metabolic typing is, you have a better understanding of you. But we live in a country in the UK where it's seasonal based. Yes. Yeah, you know, you've got four seasons here, and we're in winter at the moment. So. If you really think about it, this is the time where you probably want to eat less food because it's colder. You probably yeah, it'd be more uh, soups and broths and stodgy food to fill you right up, you know. Exactly. Especially if you're a fast oxidizing protein type like myself, like myself, you know. Yeah, I, I one of the things that I do now, right, as it gets darker, that's the time when I stop eating. Yeah, me too. And I get, I seem to feel really tired as soon as it gets dark now, you know. Yeah. But we've gone through the longest day now. So, yeah. or the longest night, it starts to get lighter and lighter now, which would be, which would be a great for everyone, you know. Yeah. So, Michael, lot... so what's your, uh, what are your two main goals for 2022? Uh, build up my client base even more. That's my biggest goal. Uh, and, Probably my one of the biggest goals that I want to do is to drop more body fat and to uh, deadlift triple my body weight again. So when I've done my bio signature, my Parlequin bio signature, do you want to be my first client? Sure, why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, all right, then, Michael. We've been on the on the podcast for forty six minutes. Is uh, sixty four minutes? Sorry. <laughs> is there is there anything you want to leave? in people's minds before we sign off? Yeah, I do. Um, keep studying and keep learning. You know, not, let's put it this way. I remember I told you the quote yesterday. You know nothing, right? Until you know every. You don't know everything. You realise you know nothing. Yes. And that's the honest truth. People that think they know everything, you don't know everything. You know nothing. Exactly. And the ones that know, who say they know everything, have got very limited knowledge of exercise, diet, lifestyle, strength and conditioning, power training, or even training athletes. And for Paul Check and Charles Parlequin, who are at the top of their trees, yeah, have both said, even Parlequin said, he's made many mistakes and he doesn't know it all and he's constantly learning before he died, you know? Yeah. God bless his soul. Yeah. The same with Paul. Paul would say the exact same thing. Um, I'm exactly the same, you know. Uh, one of the guys at uh, the Pure Gym, he was uh, not Pure Gym, 
at Energized Fitness, he was studying nonviolent communication and yeah. uh, Czech covers that on level four. Yeah. And this guy knew a couple of bits that I was like, wow, fucking hell, he knows that already, you know? Yeah. Which was, which, which, which was really good. So I never, ever judge a book by its cover, ever. Yeah. You know, the weed list guy could be the strongest. The weed list guy from my dormant experience yeah. can knock out the biggest guy. Of course. And the biggest guy will crap himself when it kicks off. Which does happen. A hundred percent. And the same as you could be watching somebody train and thinking they're doing everything wrong. Yeah. But then you go up to them and you go, or, you know, see your training. Do you want me to show you some techniques? But then you'll realize that they're in no pain. They've got no problems, but they might have a structural bad posture. Yeah. But if, if they're in no pain, it doesn't matter, does it? Of course. And this is the thing that, uh, you know, the body's more complex than a car engine. Yeah. And and it's so different for, for everybody. That's why walking the floor doesn't really work because if you show somebody how to do a lap pull down on the first day, yeah, you know, you see them doing it badly, you tell them how to do it right. Yeah. The next day they're doing it wrong. Why? Because yeah. it takes 300 repetitions to change that motor engram or that way of thinking yeah. in the body. <clears throat> so really getting PTs to floor walk is a waste of time. Of course. You know? And I found that when I was at Fitness First, the reason why I got busy, because I was just chatting to people all the time, well, I'll write a chatterbox. Mm. And being a chatterbox, oh, I've finished my session, Scott, you know, well, I want to ask you about my neck pain or I want to ask you about I've got a knee issue or I want to ask you about uh, I want to improve my bent over row or something like that, you know? Yeah. And always being available and being friendly is really, really important in the gym. And like we said the other day, leaving your ego at the door as much as you can. I know sometimes we all want to lift gargantuan weight and look the dog's bollocks in the gym. Yeah. But normally when you do that, you end up getting injured, you know? Yeah. So it's all about, you know, weighing up the yin and the yang when you go in the gym and coming into January, there's going to be a lot of gym idiots and there's going to be a lot of people that need our help, Michael. So of course, I hope that somebody's listening to the podcast and goes to Pinnacle, Pinnacle Fitness in Southampton and somebody contact me via my website, activebryantsystems.com. Yeah. Uh, so are you going to write a book, Michael? <laughs> 